In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. In this, our third episode in the series focused on self-improvement, all three of us share small habit changes backed by research we've incorporated in our lives to improve our own mental health and productivity. Good morning. Welcome to the Radically Genuine podcast. It's morning here for us recording. Welcome, Sean, back into the studio. Yeah, I missed you guys. Yeah. What happened last time? Well, it was, it's a long story. Okay, no, we don't have time. Yeah, we don't have time for it. Let's, let's talk about more important things. <laughs> well, Not we, a long story. but In a previous podcast, we were actually talking about sleep, and I know that you had a particularly difficult night with your you know, 11-month-old, and so it was quite... It's like nine out of 10 nights. Yeah, well, it was ironic that you missed that particular episode because it was all about getting better sleep. Yeah, we, I don't know if I can listen to them because if it sounds like you two are having fun... I don't, we, we actually had a blast, but Jesus. we did talk our, about you a little bit. That yeah, hurts a little. I think it was our most effective podcast. I'm not going to lie. They, really? They were so good. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure the dialogue was lacking. There was no chemistry between just the two of you. <laughs> well, speaking of um, kind of chemistry, productivity, one of the things I'm really interested in is this idea of how do we enhance focus, well-being, productivity. And... To be honest, in my field of clinical psychology, things can tend to be in an echo chamber. You get to a lot of the research is focused in certain areas. And there's a lot we know about how to enhance motivation and activate and improve well-being. But if you don't bring in research from other science fields, you're going to be really limited in your ability to help people. And we're at a, a point in time where information is really at our fingertips from great research that's being conducted in the neuroscience field and the medical field to podcasts that you can listen to where uh, certain uh, researchers are really interested in getting their work out there. And so I've been trying to develop a routine in my life that's going to help me in certain areas. Most importantly, you know, my ability to be alert but not anxious, mm. to improve my focus, to improve my productivity. And I started listening to a fascinating podcast, and I'm going to give a shout out to Dr. Andrew Huberman, who is a uh, neuroscience, neuroscientist and professor of ophthalmology at Stanford University. And he has this really great podcast called the Huberman Lab. Now, it's very science-based, so he's basically just reading literature, but in areas that are right in my interest area, my, my wheelhouse, which is mental health, well-being, focus. And it got me thinking, and I sent a text to the two of you, and I said, I want to know what are these little habits that you do that enhance your well-being, your productivity. Basically, you couldn't live without them, um, and they're life-changing. And I'm a big believer in this, that there are little certain habits, if you can incorporate them in your life, they become life-changing. And when we talk about health and we talk about well-being, I think we always have to talk about the foundations of health first. You can't really feel good unless other things are in place. You know, typically things around sleep, nutrition, exercise. But how can you incorporate that in your day? that can enhance your well-being, and it doesn't feel like it's a ton of effort. You get a reward from it. So my thoughts were, and I sent this text to you, what are the little things that you can do? So for our audience, like what are the little things that they can incorporate right now where they're going to get a science-backed response, mm -hmm. positive outcome? And that's what I asked. I sent to you guys, and I don't want to know about it. Like I'm going to hear it for the first time. What are the little habits you do that are life-enhancing, but they have a, a strong science backing. Yeah, I, I like this topic. And I think the important thing is you, you said it, your, your routine, right? 
So incorporating it into the things that you do almost every single day so that it doesn't become this extra task that you're challenging yourself to do. And that's the hard thing is like if you add something into your day on top of all the things that you're already doing, you're almost destined to fail because it just becomes another thing that you have to check a box for. Mm-hmm. And and I went through my daily routine and just started listing out the things that I do and I started there. So I don't know who wants to go first. Roger, you got you got one? Yeah, I'm going to start us off because this is a, a science-backed kind of protocol that I've been implementing in my life and I want to talk about some of the benefits. And so I wanted to do something that was around my, my morning routine. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a big believer that if you start your day off right, it has this kind of domino effect for the rest of the day. And again, shout out to the Huberman Lab because I was getting a lot of this research. I followed up myself on things to do like the moment you get out of bed. And he suggested this, um, this protocol that includes forward ambulation and optic flow. And you guys know everything about forward ambulation and optic flow, uh, right? Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Never heard of that. Basically, <laughs> it is walking forward. <laughs> oh. It is a nerd term for walking forward. So I shouldn't moonwalk out of the bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> let me, let me, um, let me discuss. So it's basically going for a walk outside mm-hmm. immediately when you get up, when there's bright light. So you want to be exposed to bright light first thing in the morning. Now, there's a number of benefits here, but let's start what forward op- ambulation and optic flow means. It's this idea of you moving forward. So you can't be in a car, right? And you walking forward and being able to absorb the sunlight into your eyes creates this optic flow where your eye movements are moving side to side in a subtle way that we don't really recognize, but picking up all the optics. And what it does is it suppresses neural activity in our amygdala. Now, what is our amygdala? It's the emotional part of our brain, right? Yeah, yeah. So like when you're, it's the fear response part of our brain. So when you're really anxious or fear, or you're feeling a lot of fear, the amygdala is highly activated. So if you're able to get up right out of bed in the morning, and start walking. And it looks like the benefits um, vary, and it depends on certain factors. Like the sunlight aspect is critically important, and I'll talk more about that. But if you can do a a 15-minute to 30-minute walk, and this is not for exercise, okay? This 15-minute walk forward, you could walk your dog, it could be a stroll. Listen, you're, you're still sleepy, so you're, it's this, this aspect of trying to get kind of activated into the day. And if you walk forward and you get into optic flow, you are suppressing this neural activity. And the benefits seem to be lasting throughout the day as far as feeling less anxious. Mm -hmm. So a primary goal for me in the morning has been how can I become more activated, focused, and productive without without anxiety? Because my previous routine, I was getting up and working right away which was exposing me to emails, my schedule, the things I needed to do. And I found myself feeling more anxious as I was walking into the building as I was starting my day. It seems more like those are stressors, right? I mean, I know work can be very fulfilling and and particularly with you, but that seems more like that routine would have been, I'm just going to read my emails. Right. And you're starting your day off with like blue light exposure, right? That's... I don't, I, but there's there's many different types of like light, right? So like when you're walking outside, you're getting natural light. Natural light, right. yeah. So I my intention was just to get myself into kind of like a, a focus state without kind of anxiety. Yeah. So I started doing this. And what I have done is I've just developed a one hour routine to start my day. Now I get up at 6 a.m. And so like this morning, for example, the sunrise was at 6.15 So I'm just going to tell you exactly what I'm doing and then the benefits of that. So I'll get up, I'll go downstairs, and I'll immediately hydrate. Glass of water. Glass of water with electrolytes. I'll actually try to get about 32 ounces of water. Why is that important? Well, there's good science that suggests that 
Um, dehydration is going to impair your ability to focus. It's going to affect metabolic functioning, immune system. And we are generally dehydrated throughout the night. That's a lot of hours we're going without drinking. And then the importance of having these electrolytes like potassium, salt, so forth, um, seems to be really important in regulating like insulin. There's a number of factors. So I just do that immediate hydration, put on my sneakers, walk outside. So that's two habit changes. That's two habit changes, right? I'm telling you the whole routine. Yeah. Okay. So it's right out of bed. I'm going to drink the water before I go for the walk. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to go for my 15 to 20 to 25 minute walk. Just walk around the block. Yep. Up and down the street. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I'm going to do my exercise routine. And been reading a lot about when to exercise, what type of exercise is important. We don't have to get into the science backing of exercise. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's doing the exercise in the morning in a fasted state and certain types of exercises. So I'm 45 years old. Listen, your training goals are going to be different based on your age, uh, based on your health status. For a lot of people, getting out of bed, going for that walk for 15 to 30 minutes is good exercise for you. And it's really important. For others, it's not going to be what you need, right? Or it might not be possible, right? So you have three children, but they're all basically capable of taking care of themselves at this point. If you're younger and you have children and you have responsibilities. I have three children that are right in the middle of that process of taking care of themselves. We're trying to force them to take care of themselves, but. Yeah, I mean, really good point. Obviously the things we're talking about aren't going to meet everybody's lifestyle. So you have to find the habit changes that you can work into your daily routine while still maintaining your commitments as a <laughs> yeah th- this is my habit yours my because and that's that's what's important about this is the science-backed habits for each one of us mm-hmm. yours are going to be different yeah you have an infant yours is going to be different you have younger kids so it, this morning routine is really important so i do that and then i'm finding 30 minutes to do exercise and is the exercise just a random do you change it up or is it all, all aerobic or is it you know what i mean yep um, I'm trying to go for five days a week. Jazzercise <laughs> and <laughs> sweating to the oldies because I know you're a huge fan. Can I move on? Go ahead. Okay. Yes. So I'm trying to do three days of like weight training, resistance training, and uh, at least two days of, of cardio. And the resistance weight training is like really important for people our age. I mean, it's important for everybody, but you want to be able to maintain muscle as you age. So there's certain like core exercises that I'm trying to do three days a week. They include pull-ups, squats, uh, deadlifts. Maybe I'll do some push-ups. I also have this long driveway where I'll do sprints and then walk back down, sprint, walk back down. And it kind of puts me in this um, uh, like interval training mm-hmm. kind of type thing. So um, I don't know if it really matters the type of exercise you do because for most people it's just about doing exercise, but getting in that 30 minutes where I can get my, my heart rate up, I can do a combination of cardio and resistance training, um, is really important to my health, well-being, and alertness, and mood. So let's say I did 15 minutes of that walk. I did about 30 minutes of exercise to complete my hour, 15 minutes of meditation. And all of this, the more you can do it outside, the better. Because we're learning more and more about the value of sun exposure on physical and mental well-being. So the ability to get in those rays, even if it's cloudy, right? I've, I've posted some of this stuff on social media and people from like the Northern Hemisphere will say, I live in Ireland, we have no sun. Mm-hmm. No, everyone has sun and you can, you can get the adequate exposure on a cloud-covered day. Right, it's that natural light. It's a, it's the, like the ultraviolet light is always penetrating through the clouds, yeah. regardless of if you can see the sun or not. Yeah. And you want to get it indirectly, like you yeah. don't want to stare up at the sun. You know, indirectly, it's like shining down. Mm-hmm. And but yeah. there is something about the sun rising and the way that it's approaching your eyes. Right. I mean, that's that's one of the benefits of the, of the morning sun is there's a certain 
um, I don't know, beam of ultraviolet light, the way that it's coming in, that you're getting a, a beneficial morning light as opposed to a midday sun? I'm not really sure. I didn't, I didn't look into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that you may be right. right? Probably just more beautiful in the morning. And it is beautiful, Calmer. right? Yeah. And I even did it. I did it yesterday with in the rain. You know, I was still getting the sun even in the rain. But it's like everything that it does. Like I think we need to be talking about our immune health, our metabolic health, more than at any other point in history, especially when we sit here in a in a pandemic, right? And this is what concerns me: is that we are not talking enough about how to be healthy. We're always like looking for some shortcut for something, right? That often like impairs our health. So yeah, like wear a mask and stay inside is not going to help people overcome this. Mm-hmm. It's not right. Like we need to be healthy. So the ability to get in that morning sun is powerful in absorbing that vitamin D, our immune system, our metabolic health, our mood, and the sleep wake cycle. Is there anything that is less important probably than sleep? More important than sleep? Is there anything more important than sleep? I, I can't really like think from like from your physical health, your mental health. I mean, your maybe just w- water intake, hydration. Yeah, that might be something. Yeah. So the added benefit of going on this walk and getting that light exposure is you're starting to regulate that sleep wake cycle. So naturally, then later at night, what happens is everything is happening within you to prepare you for sleep at night without going into all the specifics. So going, we talked about this in the sleep podcast about mm-hmm. the, you know, the importance of going to bed at a certain time and waking up at a certain time. So the benefits of that, that exposure, that sun exposure. And if I can do some of that exercise outside, start with the walk, sprints on my driveway, you know, jump rope, added benefit. And then I just kind of walk into my backyard, take a seat, and do 15 minutes of meditation. And what is meditation for me? It's a stillness. It's a quieting of the mind. And it's trying to enhance my focus on the present moment. You can do lots of different meditations. It can be a breath meditation. I was just going to say, some people don't do it because they don't feel the be- they don't see the benefit. Like when they watch it or they think about meditation, they believe you have to be in an absolute meditative state where you're leaving your body kind of thing. You know, that, that myth. But it's just really... It, just the calm, right? It's a piece. It's a. Can I can I play off that because you're touching on a lot of things that I have in my daily routine also, mm-hmm. but I've found ways of incorporating them into the things that I'm naturally doing. I, I've tried to do morning meditation, and and when I was living in Los Angeles, I was like, I need to take advantage of of where I am. And before um, I had a child, I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted. So I would go surfing in the morning. I'd wake up early. And I would go to the beach sometimes and just sit there and actually try and, and meditate. And I, and I struggled because I would find myself constantly like looking around or my focus would start going elsewhere. I try and close my eyes and focus a little bit more, but then I'd always be peeking because I don't know. I just, I, I was always so distracted. I had a hard time with it. So what I've done is just make my morning meditation, my coffee routine because I don't use um, one of those automatic coffee things. I, 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 it takes about 10 minutes, the total process. So I get out all my stuff. I use an AeroPress, um, which is a very great little coffee contraption. It's not expensive, but I grind my beans every morning, two scoops, and then I boil my water to the proper temperature, and I go through the routine of making the coffee. And that entire time, I'm just kind of thinking about my day, organizing my thoughts, breathing, and then um, the entire process of making the coffee is just my way of, of just starting the day and timing everything out. And it takes me about 10 to 12 minutes. And I, I just love the ritual of it. And I've used that as my time to focus in the morning. So let me try to correct some misconceptions for our listeners out there because I, I think your attempts to try to do something uh, to try to meditate or be in a meditative state are a little bit misguided. Mm-hmm. Right? So if, if we can think about this concept of mindfulness, it's anything that can bring attention to the moment, right? We are distracted internally, not necessarily externally. So you can, 
I encourage people to keep their eyes open when they meditate because it's about connecting to the present moment. So it's not that you're distracted by the things that they are that are around you because that is the moment. Mm-hmm. You get distracted by what happens internally, where your mind wants to go, the stories your mind creates. So for me, it's a quieting of the mind and a connection to the present moment. Can you make coffee mindfully? Yeah. But if you're thinking about your day or you're planning your day, you are not in the moment. So you can enter into a ritual that doesn't have the meditative benefits or the mindfulness benefits because you are in your head and you are thinking or you are planning. But if it brings you peace or if it brings you, I don't know, a sense of just like a first step accomplishment, um, to me, like that's something that's, a ritual is very meditative though, right? And I mean, there's many ways of, of meditation. Some people go out for a morning run because it's something that, to them is like their morning meditation. It's not just being still. It's almost going into a um, a state of just, you know, not even thinking anymore. You're just kind of moving forward. Well, d- definitely agree with that. But remember, you were using words like, I'm thinking about my day. Like, yeah, I, d- I do. Like yeah. I, I remember I had a friend told me that the most calming thing for him is pulling weeds, right? So he somehow got into this like meditative state by pulling weeds. Mm-hmm. He's not thinking, evaluating, judging, it's the thinking, the evaluating, the judging, the stories, the worrying, uh, the ruminating that activates that part of the brain that is stress activating and stress producing. If we're going to enter into a meditative state, and it could be emptying the dishwasher, making coffee, it's bringing your attention fully to that moment, which is activating other parts of the brain. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about ways of reducing amygdala activation, stress activation. And we're, we're talking about ways to find a, a, a calm and a focus and a connection. So think about, you know, that morning routine is my habit now. And it's an hour. And, but I'm done by 7.15 a.m. So if I'm trying to enhance productivity in my life, I can get my, that walk, that sun exposure, the exercise and meditation by 7.15 a.m. What have been the benefits for me personally? And I don't want to underscore this because um, I know it can come across like I'm, I'm doing something new and I'm really excited about it and I'm overvaluing the benefits. And can I say it's the maybe it's the exercise, maybe it's the meditation. Who knows if it's the walk? Maybe it's everything combined. I was going to say, maybe it's the absolute routine of that that makes you feel focused and mm-hmm. energetic. Yeah. But I, but I feel a greater sense of focus and calm throughout the morning. And I feel like my treatment, my therapy has gone to another level. I've been talking to Sean about this uh, yesterday because my focus in, in that moment has been enhanced. And I've always kind of identi- identified myself as a, um, a high productive, well-functioning worrier right? So my mind is active. It goes, it tends to like try to scan for a lot of threats and what are the things that could happen and what do I need to do to prevent it almost like naturally. Mm -hmm. And it can create a a sense of like tension and it can impact my mood. Luckily I've developed a lot of strategies in my life to, to manage this. But what I've noticed just from doing this routine is that physiological kind of reaction to, to, to stress or anxiety, maybe a little bit higher of a blood pressure. Who knows if my heart rate is increased, the whole nervous system activation. It just is a, a feeling a bit more calm since I've entered into this routine. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one other thing I think I have to mention before I move on to you guys is that one other habit change um, that occurred within this is I've delayed my caffeine intake 90 minutes to 120 minutes after I wake up. And this was just based on some research that if the first thing you do is turn to the the caffeine, it is a blocker of a certain chemical. Um, Geez, let me get the name. Adenosine. Yeah. So like after we wake up, there's like this building of adenosine that's like really important um, in the the, uh, sleep-wake cycle. And if you block it with caffeine, once that caffeine wears off, which... Uh, can be like early afternoon, you can get this like drowsiness. 
And this is exact time. And uh, this is exactly what I was noticing. I was reading about this too. Um, I had actually stumbled upon an article maybe about a month ago. And it was it so much is tied into our circadian rhythm. And maybe you guys touched on this in that boring podcast that I was not a part of <laughs> um, previously. But um, I'm realizing that all the things that you do in your morning routine is all about setting up your circadian rhythm for the day, right? And um, and when I was reading about the uh, the ideal time to drink coffee, it said when you make wake up in the morning, you have this natural spike of cortisol about an hour after we wake up, right? So for most people, that's the stress. Exactly. Right. Actually, you actually, I just was listening to a podcast walking in here, and you're going to get that spike of cortisol at some point in the day, but you can time it by the things you do. Explain. So, um, what I was, if I'm hearing this correctly that um, you're going to get a natural spike of, of cortisol, but how, how are certain behaviors can time it where it's going to be in, in, in the day. So natural light exposure and early exercise enhances it. Okay. But there might be some things you do that like minimize it or become, or it, it might come at a different time of day, depending on maybe yeah. where you are in that circadian. So I was, I, what I'd read, it, it happens twice. So it happens in the morning. And then it happens again right around the noon hour, depending on your circadian rhythm, of course. So it said you want to avoid consuming caffeine during these spikes. And if you want to optimally maximize the benefits, you want to aim to consume the coffee just after the spike. So as, you're, as your levels start decreasing, that's when you want to have your morning coffee. So you said, uh, what is it, an hour and a half? So there was two time periods that this article identified as moments to actually have your coffee. If it's a morning routine, you wake up at, you know, 8 a.m., aim for that, you know, 9.30 time period to start drinking your coffee. So they have a window of 9 to 11.30 a.m. as when to have your, your morning coffee. That doesn't sit well with me. And then if you have coffee, like, later on the day and you're, like, a lunchtime person, it says aim for the 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., but it really says avoid caffeine after 2 p.m. because that's – it has almost like a lag, right? The caffeine can start affecting you and start impacting your ability to have quality sleep at night if you drink it too late in the day but every of course everybody's body responds differently to things so i just found that very interesting because i'm a morning coffee person i don't have it um in the afternoon very rarely unless there's something that i'm i'm doing that evening and i and i'm feeling exhausted and yeah. i just want a little bit more yeah so what i found is that once i started drinking my coffee coffee later that i didn't have the early afternoon crash so what I would do traditionally is around one o'clock, I would one thirty, two o'clock, I would grab another cup of coffee and almost like I needed it because I was feeling really drowsy. So by changing when at the time when I would drink coffee, I've eliminated, at least up to this point, that crash that I would experience in the early afternoon. How long have you been doing this routine? I think I'm at about two weeks now. Okay. And there's some noticeable, you definitely are noticing some of the changes and differences. It's more than noticeable. Yeah. Right. Like I can't begin to tell you how much, be how better I feel. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm always somebody that would get a benefit from the morning exercise. This seems to have a little, a lot of added benefit in, in different ways as far as like sustaining focus throughout the day and having less worry and anxiety. So let me just review before we go, Kelly, over to you, All and then right. we'll close out with Sean about your routines. But so my routine is hop out of bed, hydrate with electrolytes, go for a, uh, about a 15 minute walk, do 30 minutes of exercise, finish that off with a 15 minute meditation, then enter into the home, delay caffeine intake for about 90 minutes to an hour and 20 minutes. So that routine in the morning has really improved my productivity, uh, decreased anxiety, and enhanced focus. With three kids my, my, uh, my age are 11 and twins are eight, there's a lot of discrepancies. Sometimes my routine will break, but usually what I'll do, and um, you know, I go and I drink coffee immediately. Um, now that you guys have said that you're so unhealthy, I know <laughs> now that you guys have said that I feel horrible. You know, I this feel like radically I need to genuine. You do not judge people. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> but 
So, well, actually, it's the coffee while with the bathroom. That, that's combined. So I'll in let you get room? in the research, though, of that. So now you have to look and see if there's any research <laughs> drinking coffee while going to the bathroom and if that changes things. Yeah, it's highly efficient. There you go. The thing that I do the, the most, though, is in the morning, I'll, I exercise, and it's, a thir- it's 30 minutes, um, usually treadmill, and then something that I did with my kids, which I, I'm curious as to what you guys think. We do 10 days of 10 something. So we try to have um, um, 10 days of 30 second planks. And then if that's the case, then I do it first. And then I'll tell my kids I'll do it. And we get a streak of 10 days and we actually don't break that chain. They get a re- reward. Sometimes it's a stupid target. Target's such an evil place, but usually we, we will take them there for something. I'm trying to get them incorporated into exercise as well. I like that. Love yeah. it. Steal that. Love it. So 10 days of that. So basically I'll run. Now, the science that I had, so I had surgery on my knee a few years ago, um, and I noticed that also that there was, uh, the doctor had said there's uh, some arthritis, so inflammation. And so it's kind of like, you think it's counterproductive to say, well, why are you running? You know, but I've read and the science backs that exercise, running, walking, actually can decrease inflammation, keeping active like that. I mean, the science is called, again, C-reactive protein. Um, so the, the, these things can actually help instead of hurt people if you're doing it, you know, you're not running full speed, you're not, you know, running as fast as you can. So sprinting for me would be very difficult and probably actually not help my what knee. A, what about the pounding from jogging? So again, just re- in the research saying that exercise itself, and usually what I'll do is I'll do it on a treadmill. I'm fortunate enough to have a treadmill. So I try to do it on there or I'll go down to the parkway, which is uh, gravel. Trying not to run on roadways is, is what I'll try to do. If I can't run, then I'll, I'll just go downstairs and exercise and then I'll do other things like lifting weights and things like that. So that's one and it happens every day. I feel like if I don't do that, then I'm not, I'm not fulfilling my, the, my would, you, would you say there's a, you know, enhanced alertness afterwards? Oh yeah, creativity. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I always get my, you know, there are so many, my routine is ridiculous. I actually do go right to, from the exercise, then I go right to getting some work done for, for the day because I feel like my, my creativity, my thoughts, everything is there. Right. Um, the other, the other thing that I'll do, uh, and so this is the one that I had a very difficult time finding any type of specific research for. So maybe you can help me out. I did find one study. I, I call it edge thoughts. And so what I do is every morning I will read something that I call a fringe type of idea. So fringe meaning outside of the box because I like to be creative when I'm, when I'm working. Um, oftentimes I will go to... Um, sites that type in like Malcolm Gladwell. I got started with Malcolm Gladwell. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Malcolm Gladwell and Blink. Now, I'm not suggesting that he's the end-all be-all or some of these articles. Freakonomics was another one I can tell you, Levitt and those. I just, I enjoyed reading these kind of fringy thoughts about the way the world is, economist thoughts about how Mm -hmm. things are in patterns and sequencing and recognition. But I also knew that uh, I couldn't continue to read multiple hours a day it was just unsustainable once we had our children. So what I do is I go online and I find excerpts and I read the excerpt. And if I find something really cool, I go and I copy and paste it over to what I call Edge Thoughts. I can share it with you. It's a document. It's called Edge Thoughts. It's so cheesy. So, but I copy and paste it and then I summarize my own thought about that particular thing about what's going on in the world. This is a future podcast here. Kelly Weatherhold's Edge Thoughts. Yeah. It's like Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy, but it's <laughs> Edge Thoughts by right. Kelly Weatherhold. Remember, radically genuine. You're not supposed to make fun of my stuff. <laughs> radically genuine. We're encouraging you. We're not making fun of But here's the thing. So what that does is it allows me to write a little bit because the other part about this is everybody says, oh, journaling, journaling. Well, I can't do that. I can't write you know, all this stuff in, in again, taking that much time. But... I enjoy the writing. I enjoy writing down my thoughts about what I just read and then I compare it to the world. Uh, and sometimes it's complete you know, bullshit. Sometimes it's awesome and sometimes that. And then I use those things. Sometimes I'll text you these thoughts, right? Um, that's where I get them from. 
I, I do That's it every day. That's when I tell my wife, like, boy, I think Kelly's losing it. <laughs> <laughs> we should go check on him. Hey. Uh, now you just tell me their edge thoughts. Listen to me. Edge thoughts. edge thoughts. That's right. Um, but there were researchers in, in New Zealand in 2013. There were, they were trying to figure out whether writing can actually calm the brain enough, particularly with people that were hurt, wounded, wounded, physically wounded. And what they found was that 76% of people responded after three weeks of simply writing down their thoughts. And they responded uh, very well. The pain management, they were trying to do pain management and they responded very well to, to that and started to realize that um, they were losing that pain. The focus on the pain was going away simply by writing, journaling, you know, thinking about That's that. That's fascinating. Now there are, there is some good science. It's called a gate control theory of pain. So when we focus in on our pain, it almost like opens up these receptors that directs messages to our brain to in, interpret that pain in a certain way, and then it intensifies it. So that's why um, attentional control work around pain has shown to decrease pain experience. So the idea of focusing away from the pain, again, into something in that present moment, controlling your attention. So it could be writing, but it could be a conversation um, has shown to have significant decreases in the person's experience of their own pain. So basically, simply, the more you focus on your pain, the more pain you will feel. And if you have the ability to, to control your attention, you can um, really manage pain. Hmm. I mean, isn't that what you're doing in a, in a therapy session? Well, there are, there are treatments and therapies around this for mm -hmm. people who have chronic pain. Okay. But um, does chronic pain, is it brought on by, you know, often a number of other um, things that are happening in their life? So can, so chronic pain can be um, intensified by stress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It can be intensified by other factors, including your diet. Mm -hmm. um, but Kelly brought up something about inflammation, right? Inflammation is your, is basically your body in this protective state because it's injured. And we can be injured from the food we eat. We can be injured from the type of thoughts we have. We can be injured from our lack of movement, from a virus, from another thing. So this inflammation is this protective state, but chronic inflammation obviously is a reflection of poor health. So, I mean, that's, that's my routine. And I've been trying, the meditation that I do is to just go out on the back patio and I sit for 10 minutes and I actually listen to I, the uh, Apple music um, or anything and just put on that meditation music and I just breathe. But I, I, I can't, I can't get into a meditative state, but I don't think about work or anything. I can sometimes hear the music and then just focus on the breath. That is a meditative state. Well, okay. But but not to the point where I'm leaving my body, looking down on everyone. Like, yeah, but that doesn't know. exist. I, you know, Are I, you sure? Because I saw it in movies. <laughs> it's called astral projecting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So remember, I mean, this is really important because we, we're going to get into this in future podcasts, but it's kind of overplayed out there. Um, but mindfulness and meditation isn't the absence of any thought. It's the ability to observe where your thinking goes and control your attention back. Now, after repeated practice and over time, can people improve that ability to be able to be connected into that moment without thinking? Of course. But again, it takes time. So like there's a lot of people. Who I, say, I think the problem is there's lots of apps that try and help you with meditation. And there's always that voice. Calm, headspace. Yeah. And it says like, remove all thoughts from your mind. And just breathe. Just breathe. Stop thinking. And I'm just like, I, 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 I'm and now I'm thinking because you're telling me not to think. Right? Maybe it's very misleading or it's trying to help you relax, but it's kind of telling you maybe not what necessarily you should be doing if you're just starting to want to meditate or in the, have mindfulness. In the app comp, the first one, she goes through like a 10 minute uh, progression of teaching you about the mind body experience. And then you finally get to breathe for about 30 seconds. And then she starts speaking again. And I was like, <laughs> what, what is this? So that's my, that's my gig. Yeah, that's great. what I do. I mean, there's certain things that I just want to like reflect on that I think are really important that you, that you do. And that whole edge thought thing is fascinating to me because, you know, there's certain times of the day. And for me, it's definitely in the morning where I feel like I have uh, just an optimized ability to think 
critically and complete tasks or to write and your ability to get some of your ideas down there at a time where you're functioning optimally, um, I think really matters as far as like productivity. But what do you did to get there is important because it's this, this exercise routine that enhanced your focus. Sure. And it's healthy for you, the alertness and so forth. It's exciting. Like after you do it and you actually go and you find something and it's of interest, yeah. you, you, your mind just can't stop. And again, I know some of the things I text, some of the things I say, but I just find it to me, it benefited a lot with work creativity. That's where I get a lot of my ideas. Right. right. Um, Let me build on that because, um, I am, I'm the same way. And I think we're all very similar. We're, we're doing a lot about morning routines and what we're probably realizing is that we are very similar in the way that we, um, feel productive. Right. And, and, in terms of small habit changes, one of those things was just recognizing what my personal productivity curve is, right? I'm a morning person. If I have a big project, I put that thing first on my list and, and I'll start it right away. I'll go through my, my normal routine, you know, making coffee, drinking some water, maybe eating a little bit of food, but then I don't, I don't hesitate. I go right out and I start tackling that big project. And I realized, um, just by, you know, uh, working in a corporate world and, and managing other people. Not everybody has that same productivity that I do in terms of being a morning person. Some people have it later in the day. I'll say my wife is very productive later in the day when I am not productive whatsoever. So um, it's really tied down to everybody's circadian rhythm, right? It's, and if you uh, want to read a little bit more, it's just called um, energy curve. So look at energy curve. Um, everyone's is slightly different. We work best in cycles of 90 minutes. So that's something to really be mindful of as you're trying to plan out your day that you can only really be productive for a window and don't try and do too much. And I would always say this with meetings. If you're scheduling a meeting for more than an hour, it's a waste of time. You're not going to have everybody focus for that entire 60 minutes. So you need to keep your topics focused on 45 minutes, allow some time for discussion, and then maybe give people back some more time before they go into their next meeting. So just understanding personal productivity and that everybody might be different is it's a good lesson to learn, but then recognizing what your own energy curve may be. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, I want to go back to one thing. Um, I, we have been talking a lot about morning routines. And, uh, my routine was, you know, driving into work, I would have a 25 minute drive. I would park my car, walk into the building and, um, you know, I'd spent some money on a nice pair of sunglasses. So I would always want to throw those sunglasses on. And, and I realized that early afternoon I was getting sleepy, drowsy, um, just the normal, just kind of blah. And, um, ended up seeing an article about the importance of not wearing sunglasses in the morning. And it all ties into your morning routine of going for a walk, exposing your eyes to light. So just little things like that. And if you're going for a morning walk, you know, do not wear sunglasses because you will not have the benefits. That's just an important little thing to just be Absolutely. considering is take those sunglasses off. And even for that drive into work, don't wear sunglasses. Yes. There's the, uh, what were you calling it when you're moving forward? What's the term? Forward ambulation. Forward ambulation. It's walking forward. And getting optic flow. Yeah, so optic flow. So you're, you said you don't get it from driving. I did recognize a little bit of that benefit. The drive was 25 minutes, and I would still park far away and, and walk in. So my walk-in would take, you know, five to eight minutes. So maybe there's something there. But I did recognize the benefits of um, not wearing sunglasses in the morning, and it regulated my day a little bit better where I wouldn't have that uh, that sleepiness that would come on right after lunch around like two o'clock. All right. I want to touch on some ones that are later in the day because we've been focusing a lot on morning and some of these might be, um, I don't know, life hacks. Uh, but there's very little science across some of these, but they're things that I've recognized the benefits of. And I think it's something that they're because it's so small, it's probably not getting any science funding to do research. But if I've had a bad day at work, or if I feel like I've made no progress on projects, I cook dinner. I would often send a message to my wife and say, I'm picking up stuff on the way home and I'm cooking dinner. 
And there's something about washing produce, chopping vegetables, cooking rice, heating up a skillet, throwing garlic in there, and just composing a meal that provided me with some satisfaction of just completing one project from start to finish. And it's just a sense of accomplishment. I needed to end my day with a sense of accomplishment and then share that meal with the family and and watch them enjoy it to kind of fulfill my day. So if I felt like I haven't done anything or if I was very frustrated, this is how I would end my day so I would feel some sense of accomplishment. It's just a little life hack. Um, I did find, I was looking for some some research to see if there's anything behind it. And um, let's see, uh, uh, there's something about cooking that the, mo- the modeling and the mastery of a skill, the social cognitive theory might explain why a successful food system that relies on cooking would benefit from activity that promotes positive mood, self-confidence, and self-esteem in order to promote exchange of food and ideas And there is some research that exists that supports the idea that cooking may improve socialization and other physical and mental health outcomes, but it's, there's not enough behind there, but I walk away with the day feeling a sense of accomplishment. And that's just a little life hack that I've had. Yeah. So I, I love cooking too, and I get it, but my, the, 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 the thing that makes me feel good about cooking, I don't follow the recipes. I like looking at recipes and thinking about other ways I can improve them. And then, so that's the creativity. Yeah, component, I know, right? I know. Yeah. That's why, but um, I love that. Yeah. You know, and then, and then once I have that and I've created my own little, you know, build better off of something, then I, then I'll keep making it. And the, but I, I get you. I'm with you on that. You know, what's interesting about this conversation is uh, all three of us are focusing on productivity. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm just in my mind wondering how cultural that may be. You know, is this like Western a kind of culture of capitalism and productivity that we're all talking about how we can enhance that. And are there cultural differences? I mean, is there, is, does experience Trump productivity? So like, are there things that people can do in their lives to enhance experience without the goal of optimizing productivity? So like just doing the things that we're talking about with, whether it's cooking or it's writing or it's exercise and walking, those in itself create a life worth living, mm-hmm. right? It's the experience of doing that. Um, but we're almost like conditioned to say, how can I be the most productive in my day? And you're, you, what if I wasn't productive? I have to do something to make myself productive. Or the day's been wasted. Yeah. That's, that's how my mind is. But I think that way. Like I do too. I think, you know, life is time limited and I want to produce and I, and I want, I want my days to be able to make an impact. I want to accomplish things. And then I feel good when I accomplish things. And then if I look back at days where I'm just relaxing, I don't have the same emotional benefit. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think that's why I tackle projects first thing in the morning. Because I want to have a sense of accomplishment as early in the day so that if all of a sudden 3.30 comes along and I haven't done anything, I'm like, "Ah, I need to go out. Let's go do something. Like I need to accomplish something. I need something completed. Yeah, but don't you think that's part of human nature? I mean, we've evolved that way. I don't know if everybody thinks that way, though, because there's, you know, we have a binge watching of Netflix that, you know, people will lounge all weekend. They long think that's a sense of accomplishment. Oh, yeah. They'll actually <laughs> brag about it and say, I just watched, you know, 12 hours and I got this series done. Did you watch it yet? And I'm like, what? <laughs> How'd you do that? 20 minutes into the first episode. I mean, that's great. Yeah, but, but that doesn't mean they're healthy and happy. No, I know. Right. Like that's the, that's the concern here. And we, we talk about this in our podcast that there's certain behaviors that have become part of American culture that are ultimately going to lead you to be physically and mentally unwell. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of them. I'm hoping that at some point we talk about, and I don't know how to, but distractions. I think people distracting themselves from, from the productivity that they could accomplish. Or escapism. Or escapism, yeah. You know, like, I guess it's a similar construct. Right. Right. Um, you're actually feeling bad because you're not living the life that you want to live. And you can escape into the fantasy or the storytelling sure. or the movies of, or music or video games as a way of just kind of escaping that pain. And we've talked about that, uh, especially when we were talking about like 
ways to develop a miserable life, right? Like an early podcast, you know, that idea of kind of like escaping or distracting, although in the short term might prevent, might provide you some benefit in the long term, it creates more harm. Well, let me give one um, that I've been trying to focus on that is not about productivity. So um, in a previous podcast, we talked about how lazy I've been in the last year and a half and I haven't been physically active. And um, there was a time when I was running and I felt incredible. I was the best I ever felt. And to to Kelly's point, I I also had um, knee troubles and my knee pain went away just from, from running and training and, and training properly, mm-hmm. right? It's not about stomping your feet. It's, right. it's about understanding the, the proper uh, technique of, of running um, and, uh, and, and learning how to do that uh, really helped alleviate that pain. But there was one component that was important, and it was how to breathe properly. And nasal breathing. Oh, yeah. So breathing in through your nose. This is really important. Instead of your mouth. And I think if we all do this right now, because I'm going to start talking about some of the science behind it, um, everybody just take a deep breath through your nose. And then exhale, right? If you are a mouth breather, that oxygen is really only going into the top two uh, lobes of your lung. But through nasal breathing, it goes into all five. Doesn't it affect like the ratio of oxygen and carbon dioxide? That is exactly it. So when you're running, what you want to do is make sure that you're getting enough oxygen into your system so that you can continue to run, especially if it's endurance-based and you're running for a long period of time. So by breathing in through your nose, it drives oxygen into those lower lobes of the lung. And that means all five are utilized instead of just those two. You have increased efficiency of oxygen uh, uptake. It's also increased parasympathetic activation, which means the lower lobes of the lungs have more nerve receptors that calm the body and mind compared to the upper lobes of the lungs, which trigger sympathetic symptoms such as our fight or flight reaction. Mm. So I remember um, uh, I got got married and I was down in uh, Costa Rica. So we realized that instead of the family flying out to Los Angeles, it was a cheaper flight to go to Costa Rica and the money would go a long way. So we had uh, a small group of friends that joined us down there for the wedding. And I, of course, was nervous and uh, anxious and um, and Roger could see it on me. And he came up to me that the day and he goes, you're not breathing. <laughs> And I, I was like in a pool and I was like, I'm breathing, <laughs> I'm breathing, and, but I wasn't breathing properly, right? I was breathing in through my mouth. I wasn't taking deep breaths and, and I, he made me focus on, on my breath for, um, a period of time. And then he walked away. And I think the rest of the day I kept focusing on my breath and taking deep breaths and it made me feel a little bit better. But yeah, I was a mess that day. I was not myself. You had a panic attack, didn't you? I didn't have a panic attack. Um, but <laughs> you don't have to be ashamed about it. It wasn't a panic. Everyone attack. has panic attacks every once in a while. I woke up um, uh, and like dry heaved. <laughs> I, I remember. See, I, that's that's a panic. Yeah, that's attack. a panic attack. I looked at uh, at my my now wife and I was like, it, "It's not you. It's me." I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "I love you. I don't know what's going." <laughs> And I was like, I don't know what's going on, <laughs> but it was just, I don't, I was just, uh, I don't know. There was just so many things going on. Everybody traveled such a long way. I wanted to and make sure. And she still married you after those heaves? She had no other options. <laughs> she didn't run away. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, the idea of nasal breathing and I, and I've been trying to focus a lot on that because there's been a lot going on in my life now with, uh, you know, moving into a new home, having a small child and every once in a while, and you might be able to hear me on this podcast is I take, you know, a deep breath through my nose. Um, and I, I could feel the oxygen going deeper and it does relax me and makes me feel uh, a little bit better. Um, it also decreases your breathing and your heart rate. Um, so just breathing through your nose, is just like a very simple thing that you can do all day long. That doesn't require you to build a schedule or build a new routine. Just breathing through your nose instead of your mouth. Let me add to this because it's ironic. I just listened to a podcast on optimizing testosterone. And they've found that, and this is, I think it's called apnea, is breathing through your mouth. Yeah. The mouth breathers have lower levels of testosterone and nose breathers have 
significantly, clinically significantly higher levels of testosterone. And testosterone is really an important hormone um, as far as like muscle strength and um, libido, uh, energy. And it's something that decreases over time, like peaks in, you know, through puberty. And for guys, it, you know, certainly decreases over time and is associated with increases in body fat, that whole dad bod thing, right? So one simple, geez, I don't, I don't think this is simple, but learning to be a nose breather, like they have certain devices right now to try to like enhance this, even just like taping your mouth shut, right? So people have sleep apnea. It's a real problem for them with, with sleep, with being able to get um, into a deep, a deep sleep, and it's associated with you know cardiac problems. Don't they have so to wear forth. the machine over their nose? The CPAC, right? the yeah, CPAC. like that's designed to correct that. Um, but for like exercise, if you can really train yourself to be a nose breather, you're going to like enhance your. I don't know what's that called, VO two or something. That's mm-hmm. correct. Yeah, yeah. And I, like, there's masks out there that you know some of these elite athletes will wear to try to improve your your cardio. It's fascinating. Um, I have two more. Um, one is very simple. Um, and I, I, you know, talked about cooking dinner. So something that, um, my wife and I, and now our child do every day after dinner is go for a walk. Mm -hmm. So right when we're done eating, we'll clean up and then we go for 20, 30 minute walk around the community. Um, it has just, just health benefits of, you know, improving digestion, stabilizing your blood sugar, less gas, um, and then also less stress. Uh, but the, the one thing that I like to do um, is as I'm walking around, I like to, when I'm crossing paths with people, is make eye contact, smile at them, and say hello. And when I was in uh, Los Angeles, apparently that's not something that people do. Um, so my wife would always say, like, what are you doing? Stop saying hi to people. But um, <laughs> You know, in, in Pennsylvania and in, in Nazareth and Bethlehem, there is a sense of community. People are friendlier. So I tried to take that to Los Angeles and always just make eye contact and say hello. Was to there people. a lot of reciprocity with that? Not all the time because I, it's, I'm surprised at how many people avoid eye contact and, and look in the other direction even when they're crossing paths with you. And I, that's the most interesting thing is people make it an effort now not to look at you. Um, they'll look at their phone or they'll avert their gaze like completely over their shoulder, which is just uh, interesting. But um, there is something about saying hello to somebody and smiling at them and then smiling back that makes me feel just a sense of connection. I bet there's science about around that. Uh, maybe. Um, Isn't there, there is science like mimicking and things. Yeah, like, uh, one, um, uh, mirror neurons. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Mirror neurons? Yeah. Oh, oh now I'm going to do more research. That could be another podcast episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I have one last one. Um, And this is not a daily routine or a daily habit. It's just a hack. Um, And it's really about breathing also, I think. Um, If I was nervous before a presentation or a meeting at work, um, you know, you start thinking about this is how I'm going to approach it. This is what I'm going to say. This is what my opening line is going to be. Uh, and then you start running through all that stuff and then you start thinking and thinking and your thoughts are running and then you get really nervous before the presentation. If I felt like I needed a little something to calm me down, I would strike a power pose, which is... Um, oh, raising your arms above your... Raising uh, like like if you're celebratory, right? You're crossing the finish line, put your hands above your head like you're, you're, you've just won something or do the Superman pose where your hands are on your hip and you're pushing your chest out. And I really think that's just about breathing properly because you're, it's almost like a sense of confidence, right? Your chest is out, your, your chin might be raised. And I would always end up taking a deep breath naturally by doing that. And, um, and if I was with somebody else and they had to be part of that presentation, I would tell them what I was doing because I didn't want to look like a crazy person. Uh, but then they would do it too. And then they would start smiling and laughing and we would just naturally relax. And then the meeting would go very well. Did you do that before your wedding? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, He was on hands and knees vomiting <laughs> and having a panic attack. I do. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, that's uh, that's it. I mean, those are the things that, um, as I went through my day, um, that I've incorporated. Just simple things, not wearing sunglasses in the morning, trying to breathe through my nose, sense of accomplishment. Let's talk, Let's to end this, let's just kind of review the common themes here. Sun exposure, mm-hmm. early, moving your body, right? Exercise, and getting into some meditative state, mindfulness, and changing your breathing. You know, simple things like that can go a long way to changing your physical and mental health. And I can, you know, guarantee you that for the most people I I see when we start talking about these things, they're they're novel, right, for the most part. Um, And I think when we talk about mental health and what the future of mental health should be, is we should be looking at different behaviors that change the way that people think, feel, and live. And compare it to where we are in 2021. You're talking about quick prescriptions or some supportive talk therapy. When, if we're going to enhance our mental well-being, improve our focus, improve our mood, improve relationships, it's got to be an action-oriented approach to changing your life action oriented not a passive process it's got to be something that you learn and implement in a disciplined and structured way over time listening to a podcast may be therapeutic but it is not therapy Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you are considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.